Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Found your way once again to the Underpowered Hour. On this week's show, Disco Inferno, Show Corrections, a Land Rover Market Update, Corndog Storage Tips from Mike, and What Are You Reading? Now, without further delay, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at the Barris Collection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thanks to everyone joining us today. I'm the bias ply to Stephen's radio, the unsynchronized crash box of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online, Facebook, and Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. All right, Stephen, let's get started. All right, Ike. So this week, uh, we're talking about uh, a disco inferno, and I don't mean uh, the 70s disco album. I mean a brand new Land Rover Discovery uh, catching fire, so much so that Land Rover is now cautioning people that, hey... Your brand new Discovery just might catch on fire. So public service announcement, uh, you may end up with a Disco Inferno and not the fun kind. Why uh, in the world are brand new Land Rovers catching on fire, Mike? Well, I think uh, this is not an uncommon occurrence with hybrid vehicles. You know, uh, battery voltages and short circuits and you know crashes and all these sorts of things. Um, obviously, with these sorts of new technology, you're seeing a lot of that most uh, prominently with the uh, the Teslas that were also catching on fire. Uh, so I think this is affecting their hybrid vehicles the discovery sport and maybe the freelander sport something like that the uh mild hybrids um yeah and it, i believe from what i've read it has to do with the uh dc to dc uh battery or voltage converter <laughs> and there's a that's I, I if memory serves me that's what that's what takes the the hybrid voltage from like a higher voltage like 48 or 60 volts down to 12 volts to run all the accessories that you would normally find in a car radios air conditioning etc etc so uh my understanding is that a a transistor is failing in the system and and causing these uh, vehicles to catch on fire so um not ideal i think they've uh, issued a recall for those cars and uh, i don't know how big of a deal it is to fix it but certainly not uh, confidence inspiring if you have one of those cars yeah i would probably go deal with uh with that before it becomes a uh a life-threatening uh, death trap uh yeah yeah i think anytime you have a, a vehicle uh potentially 
uh, a flammable, more flammable than it otherwise would be. Yeah, good, good policy to get that resolved. So uh, if you go on their website, they have a phone number you can call them at. Oh, well, it's similar to, uh, it harkens back to the three, five through three, or through four, oh, actually, leader uh, Land Rover engines that were traditionally in Defenders and their oil uh, cooler lines splitting open, spraying uh, oil all over the uh, exhaust manifold and catching the entire car on fire. So if you haven't switched those lines in your, uh, especially your NAS Defender, over to uh, braided steel lines, that's a worthwhile investment, let me tell you. I will say that uh, you should change them periodically regardless of whether they are running rubber or steel because inside of the braided steel is of course more rubber and that ages and you can't inspect it so uh, i think that's something that should be on your vehicle maintenance list probably every five to seven years is to replace those oil cooler lines so uh that also pokes a hole in my theory of you know new technologies being you know having teething problems (laughs) that car uh that engine wasn't new when that's what when that was happening but nope. um uh it, yeah if you've got a nas defender probably something you should uh should, you should take with. care of yeah and it's it's a weird one because when those hoses start to uh get crappy they can also get kind of bogged up and and corrode inside the steel hoses the rubber can start to break down and kind of get stuck and it causes this weird overheating gremlin that's really hard to figure out because there's nothing visibly wrong with the hoses but oil is just not circulating through that cooler and it causes a weird overheating problem that is is sometimes hard to figure out we had a problem with uh, one of those at the shop, and it turned out there was a the the guy's uh, kid had put a corn dog down the oil filler. Oh yeah, corn dog in an oil filter. That is also that's the oil in filler the, corn dog in the filler. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's a, that's also a uh, that's a that's a common uh, cause for oiling issues. Uh, corn dogs in there. Any really any fried cylindrical food doesn't have to necessarily be a corn dog. Was it easier to get out because of the stick or or the stick was still in there? Uh, apparently he'd eaten about half of it, and then you know his, the hood was up, and he was like sitting on the hood or monkeying around with the car, and uh, he was just like, "This seems like a good place to eat this part of a corn dog. I don't want." <laughs> All right. There's a lot to unpack there. That'll be for a Patreon special episode, the the corn dog removal. It's like a like a Discovery Channel special, the removal of a corn dog from a uh, a NAS Defender engine. Um great. You know, it would provide a certain amount of lubricant because I would say that that dog is made up of, you know, a fairly high amount of petroleum and just all on its own, so. Yeah, just 100% soy. Yeah. You get that in the lifters, no problem. All right, uh, you get some oil. Get a little bit of get a little bit of uh, get a little bit of corn dog in the oil journals, and uh, oh, it's a great Tuesday afternoon spent. That'll uh, be our that'll be our next tech tip. Oh, top tech. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so speaking of disco uh, and uh, the new disco and the new Defender, uh, Land Rovers come out and said, OK, we get it. They're basically the same car, but they look slightly different. So going forward, uh, they're going to take the Discovery and they're going to move it over to the brand new electric modular architecture or the EMA, which is also, I believe, a type of electronic music. Um, they're going to move that whole sucker over to that platform. The interesting thing like about that platform is that you can't have a EMA car 
that doesn't incorporate a partial battery electric system. There's no way to put just a full-on gas engine in that sucker. Uh, you have to have hybrid, uh, plug-in hybrid, uh, or a full battery electric in order to use uh, that platform, such as I understand it, which is kind of interesting and part of, I guess, Land Rover, Jaguar, Land Rover's bigger plan to electrify a lot of their cars. And actually, I think... That makes sense for the Discovery. I think the Discovery is a model that is probably more prime for plug-in hybrid or or full electric uh, than maybe the Defender is. I certainly uh, want a plug-in uh, electric Defender. They have, of course, the 400E in the UK, but it's not available over here yet. But the Defender will stay on the modular longitudinal architecture or MLA platform, which allows just a regular old gas engine or diesel engine to be mounted without the addition of batteries. But you can put batteries into that platform um, uh, as well. Uh, it just doesn't make it exclusively battery. I don't know if can you do can you do a totally battery uh, MLA car? I know you can do partial, but because the current one, the current uh, hybrids are on that platform, obviously. But will you be able to just take the engine out of that and put in a, a full electric uh, engine? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, you know the way that you're describing this scenario is basically they're making the discovery platform you know, exclusively dependent on uh, a battery system. And the Defender platform will be uh, Defender or petroleum-powered or hybrid, of course. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether that's the case or not. You know, obviously this is nothing new. The Discovery and the Defender have shared the same platform uh, really since the Discovery came out, right? They, yeah. They've kind of had the same... Uh, drivetrain architecture and the same engines available and axles available for the most part yep. up until um, up until the Discovery 2. The Discovery 2, when it came out, uh, they used different axles and so forth in the Discovery 2 and it kind of diverged. And the Discovery platform and the Defender platform at that time kind of, you know, diverged from one another and became more distinct in my personal mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. And certainly, certainly visually, they have been very distinct uh, for a long time. And then I think you've seen a convergence recently where not only the platforms, but the styling became more similar. And I think for that reason, the Defender, uh, obviously with its newness and novelty, it's kind of cannibalized some of the Discovery sales. And they're like, okay, let's let's bring these models apart again. And I think that's what they're trying to do now. Yeah, they've cannibalized it so much, in fact, that in the same period where uh, about 17,000, uh, give or take, Defenders were sold. Now, that's with supply constraints, uh, obviously chip shortages and uh, and COVID uh, and what have you. Uh, only about 4,000 Discoveries were sold in the same period. So that's a pretty significant reduction. You've got to imagine that uh, those at least some, if if not a good portion of those Defender customers would have been Discovery uh, customers. And having had the new Discovery, it, it's great. It's a great car. Um, super technology rich. It feels way more like a Range Rover inside than any previous Discovery that I've ever uh, owned. It's it's definitely by by far the most upmarket uh, Discovery. But yeah, to your point, the, the Discovery, the Series 1, if you will, Discoveries and the Defender were more or less the same car. And even the, the Range 
Range Rover Classic in many ways uh, of that same uh, sort of time. All similar engines, all similar drivetrain, and now, of course, they've all diverged uh, pretty significantly. But well, it was the styling that really separated the cars before, and I think uh, you know with the convergence, uh, you know, making it a standardized product line styling, you know, clamshell hoods, and you know all of these design features and elements that really you know on the one hand tie the vehicles together they're making them so similar that that consumers may be having a hard time distinguishing you know them and they're saying oh the defender is the newest latest greatest i'm gonna pick that one and look looks significantly different than the rest of the of the line. I also think there's been so many Range Rovers now packed in underneath the Sport with both the Velar and the Evoque that there's just sort of a lot of overlap. The Discovery's kind of getting squeezed out of the middle where it was essentially what the Defender is now, right? A really nice but more utility-oriented uh, vehicle when the original Defender was around, which was really, you know, a, a very simple interior, very much a tractor with body work on it. Um, and so the Discovery filled in really nice between a Range Rover that was really nice, really upmarket, had tons of features, very computerized, very modern, and the Defender that was about as basic a vehicle as was available in 2016. Um, but with the new Defender now being essentially the greatest Discovery uh, ever made um, and really, you know, sort of filling that market for a modern customer... And the Range Rover having something available, I mean, I think you can get like an, an Evoque for, you know, in the 40, like 50, $60,000, right? Like they're not, they're no longer like $80,000 and above for a Range Rover. So I think it's a, it's an interesting place and it'll be interesting to see where the discovery falls in that because it's, uh, you know, not a, not a great time, I guess, to be a, to be a discovery, a Land Rover discovery. Uh, yeah, I think that those cars definitely fill that, uh, you know, sort of compact SUV, uh, market very prized among the realtors, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, they really like those cars. Um, but, uh, speaking of adjustments and corrections, I think we have a couple. We do uh, a new segment, uh, Ike, that I would uh, that we're going to call uh, corrections, because as you know, we research only the bare minimum uh, of what we say. Uh, to be fair, <laughs> if anything at all, I think <laughs> a, a, at least ten percent of every show is completely made up. Uh, so to issue some quick corrections, uh, coincidentally, both of them relate to a famous Land Rover owner of the week uh, stories from the past. Um, and for those of you who don't know, we have a large large catalog of episodes uh, that are a part of our feed. You may have to go into your player and actually look for them, but... Uh Although you may have subscribed on uh, episode 12 uh, or 11 when the show was released to the world, unleashed, if you will, upon the world, uh, there's actually a whole series of uh, episodes in our back catalog. Uh, part of those episodes involved Ellen DeGeneres and a great story about her buying a NAS Defender uh, for her, what we said at the time, then-wife, Portia Rossi. As it turns out, they're not divorced. They are, in fact, still together but, and we theorize that perhaps the divorce was caused by the ownership of a, land, uh, a NAS Land Rover Defender, but they may be headed for a $500 million divorce. So uh, the correction may be recorrected, but for now, they're still together. So, Ike, what do you think? Who gets the defender in the divorce? I think they're going to they're gonna argue over who gets the defender, but it's arguing over who has to take it. 
<laughs> I think you're exactly right. Uh, <laughs> second correction. Um, in the John Reese davies uh, famous Land Rover owner of the week, uh, I said that Jerry O'Connell is now uh, very fat. Um, and as it turns out, he's no longer fat. Uh, he's gotten into great shape. Uh, I have not. I'm still the same shape. Uh, but Jerry O'Connell has blown by me um, and uh, and is looking, uh, you know, I wouldn't quite say uh, yoked or uh, swole, but uh, he is uh, he's not looking bad. He's, he's, not, he's looking pretty good. Now, were these corrections uh, are these are these forced? Did their uh, press representatives reach out to you for uh, for clarification? In both cases, that? we were sent strongly worded uh, strongly worded letters. In the case of Jerry O'Connell, he just stopped by the house and uh, and did some did some posing on the lawn uh, <laughs> just to you know shirt off. He had oiled up, which I felt was unnecessary, but uh, he did some had some of that sort of uh, posing situation going on. So he's looking good. Jerry Connell's looking real good. Will um, that be on our Patreon? That will be, yeah. I, mean, I have some live video of a pose-off uh, that Jerry O'Connell <laughs> challenged me to at my home. And, uh, yeah, so that'll be, uh, that'll be on the Patreon. So please do go, uh, do go check that out. So, uh, Ike, market uh, update, if you will, the, uh, the fast-paced world. If you're not into Bitcoin, if you're not into the stock market, uh, you may be into the fast-paced world of extremely expensive online Land Rover sales. So let's talk about the used Land Rover market here. We've seen some uh, crazy results over the past week for some used Land Rovers that uh, I would not have suspected would sell for nearly as much as they have. Uh, the first one is one we kind of talked about in our last episode. It was a uh, red Series 2A88 soft top that was featured on Bring a Trailer, one very similar to a couple of other Yes, Red famously. Series 2 A's, famously. There you go. Uh, for those of you playing our drinking game, you must take a drink right now. Um, so this car, the auction finished, and in the in the waning moments of the auction, it skyrocketed up to, I want to say, 52000 something like that. And uh, with the buyer's premium, that's, I think, over fifty five or right around 55000 it's so, amazing. It is amazing. I and listen. I don't want to bag on anyone's Land Rover, and quite frankly, no one can get upset with us for commenting on how expensive these cars sold for. Because you just got fifty five thousand dollars for your Land Rover, so uh, you sir have nothing uh, to complain about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's a it's a strange hot market for cars that uh, you wouldn't to your point, necessarily think would have fetched anything close to that. And certainly, I would say that same car three years ago, two years ago, maybe even, wouldn't have come anywhere close to that. 17, maybe? Something oh, yeah. like that? Yeah. Feels yeah, like, it feels, I was going to say, it feels like about a $20,000 car. If, if someone, and often people do, uh, send me an email, call me, text me in the middle of the night uh, to say, hey, how much would you pay for this Land Rover? To which then I call Ike and ask him, <laughs> how much would you pay for this Land Rover? Um, I, I would say, I would say, yeah, it's about a $20,000 car. You know, it, it's in great shape, looks really good. I mean, there's, again, we like we said last time, not super original. Uh, you know, a lot of choices, obviously very strong choices uh, were made that kind of run counter to the factory um you know sort of uh, original and uh, you know some some uh, some uh fixes uh, if you will um yeah i would say about a $20,000 car so so quite a 
quite a significant profit made on that car. I'm not sure how much they had into it, but uh, but I don't think you can be upset with uh, 50 grand. Obviously, with anything used, whether it's cars or, you know, uh, vintage vacuum cleaners or whatever it is that you collect, you know, the, the value of that is very subjective. And so people assign value for nostalgia. And, uh, you know, maybe this is a car that that particular person had some sort of affinity for um, yep. for that reason. Uh, so it's hard to place a value on some of that. But objectively... You know, it's it's gosh, it's so hard to rationalize that, especially when some other cars which are, you know, uh, to the trained eye, you know, much stronger examples are not pulling that sort of uh, value. So, uh, yeah, it feels uh, a little great. feels a little GameStop uh, to me. It's the Dogecoin, <laughs> the Dogecoin of Land Rovers. But uh, hey. Again, if it's your thing, then you'll pay what you'll pay for it. Uh, speaking of... Even crazier. Even crazier. Yes, even crazier. Let's talk about this Range Rover. So a Range Rover, low mileage, to be fair, Ike, low mileage, P38, recently sold for $70,000, which I, I that has to be pretty close to the retail price for an original P38. Now, of course, adjusted for inflation, uh, it's not, but there are not too many cars. Now, listen, uh, there was just a Camel Trophy truck, as we've talked about in our most popular episode by number of downloads, um, that just sold for $90,000. Certainly, there have been, as as is our favorite thing to talk about, uh, Land Rovers previously owned by the Royal Family that have sold for uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there is, of course, the factory restored uh, Series One, uh, the first, the first one that the uh, Classics Group restored, that sold for well over two hundred thousand uh, dollars. All of these very significant, collectible, unique Land Rovers. Uh, this is a low mileage uh, P thirty eight, in good condition. You know, seem to be in good condition. This is a this is a car that is uh, it's not the the bottom of the range, but it's not the top of the range. It has the four point six liter engine in it. I, I don't think it's one of the special like autobiographies or something like that. Um, but uh, it's the it's got the larger engine package and uh, it's admittedly extremely clean and well preserved for a twenty year old car. Um, it's got twenty five thousand miles on it, which means it's probably due for its first head gasket change. <laughs> any minute <laughs> any minute but uh i think that this is a car which over the last decade we've seen even relatively clean examples selling in the sub five thousand dollar range like this is not a car that's been a collectible this is not a car that has really evoked the sort of uh you know emotions that you would think of as as generating that collector interest that really drives the market for these sorts of cars it doesn't have the strong styling of the earlier examples and it it has um you know gained a reputation for electrical gremlins and uh, here we have an example selling for seventy thousand dollars. It's 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 pretty incredible. It is a bit of a red herring. Like, do we know is there uh, a large amount of cocaine hidden in the floorboards of the car, or something that that would increase the the value? Uh... Corn dogs. Oh, corn dogs. Yes, of course. There's a corn dog in the oil filler, and so it smells like the fair when you drive As the it around. original. 
the original leatherette corndog holster. Oh, that is a that's a popular feature. It goes right beside the uh, the gear selector. You just slide your corndog in there when it's halfway done, and you know because you've got you know sometimes you need both hands, even though the corndog is the perfect travel it's meal. Yeah. Yeah, it's heated. heated. Yeah. It's a Range Rover. Of course, the corn dog holder is heated. Um, there's a separate. Uh, there's a separate headrest just for your corn dog. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing. Like I know lots of people who love the P38. They love it as an off-road uh, car because it's a really comfortable, uh, you know, rig, and it's relatively easy to adjust the suspensions and things like that into a configuration that makes it fun to off-road. I do know people that are are so fond of of Range Rovers that they have a P. 38 in their collection of many other Range Rovers, but to your point, it's in my mind still a five to ten thousand dollar car, even in great shape. So I would love to know what makes this P38 so special. If anyone knows, get in touch with us. We're on the Instagram, wherever. Well, because I would love to know why. Why seventy thousand uh, dollars? Because perhaps I have something in the in the workshop that I don't know is actually worth seventy thousand dollars. Could be. Can I can I make a confession right now? You purchased that Range Rover. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have always uh, thought that the styling of the P thirty eight was very similar to a car of the of, of a slightly earlier era, the LaForza. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, what Land you Rover has had a couple of those that like, well, that looks very similar to an earlier car, all of the Ford Explorer and a few other, you know, there's a, there's they can they can sometimes be accused of certainly having an homage to to earlier I cars. Say, I would say generally their styling is pretty forward thinking. Absolutely. And and that's the thing. It's I think when something like the P thirty eight, and don't get me wrong, people love the P thirty eight. I don't I don't dislike it at all. Everybody loves it. It's but certainly, I think, one of the most popular Land Rovers ever made. Um, but they, uh, you know, it, it's never really done anything for me. In fact, I think there was a large uh, push to say the classic Land Rover, uh, the classic Range Rover was so popular when the P38 came out, they kept making the classic Range Rover um, Partially, I think, because of the somewhat visceral response to the P thirty eight, people liked the the classic. Do we know? Do we know that the, they weren't just uh, using uh, like the leftover uh, Range Rover body shells? Do we know that? Oh, I think it was it was a little column A, little column B. Um, I, I do think that there was a a real visceral response to the P thirty eight when it came out. I think people it was a real departure uh, from the uh, you know from the the original uh, classic uh, Range Rover, and so I, I yeah I think you know I don't know look at look at the La Forza came out in nineteen eighty four look at the La Forza and then they did sell this car in the United States I think with a Ford V eight in it. But uh, I think the the models that they sold here were very P thirty eight esque. Oh, you're not wrong. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a I, deep cut. That's I, a deep I, cut. Not too many people are familiar with the LaForza, but having seen them, uh, I would say that the styling is very uh, reminiscent of the P thirty eight. It is very reminiscent of the P thirty eight. In fact, so much so that uh, in in a couple of the image searches, you will get a P thirty eight that'll pop in there uh, by uh, by accident. So, well, there you go. I mean, again, I, I think uh, like the Dehatsu Taft, uh, your knowledge of uh, bizarre, uh, exotic uh, sort of middle of the road four by fours is is impressive uh, to say. Unrivaled. Unrivaled. 
famously unrivaled uh, knowledge of esoteric four by fours. Speaking of esoteric, uh, let's talk about what you've been reading and watching that is Land Rover related. Well, I uh, recently read uh, Ben Fogel's book on Land Rovers called The Story of the Car That Conquered the World. Now, you may be familiar with this book, Ike, because of the uh, irritating, um, the irritation it causes, let's say, within the community. Well, I, I haven't read this book, so that should be the first disclaimer. And I always hate reviewing things that I haven't uh, read or watched. But in this particular instance, I have, I have a good friend read it, and uh, their review was that he refers to all Land Rovers, whether they are defenders or not as defenders and that was his big pet peeve on this particular book you are not wrong and it is also a a thing that i noticed and and i was not uh necessarily in love with uh but i'll have to say that um having read the whole book uh you know ben's storytelling and his admiration around the brand and the vehicles and actually purchasing a defender and then ultimately purchasing a series one um i think it's a great story about someone who always wanted a Land Rover Defender and then purchased a Land Rover Defender and then had to live with a Land Rover Defender. <laughs> uh, I think it's just a great, like, it's such a great, uh, you know, s- journey of of strife and discontent and ultimate acceptance. Um, and then once one has finally settled into Defender ownership, the only way to up that game is to then purchase oneself a series, a Land Rover Series 1 being obviously, obviously the ultimate version. And then, of course... Ike Goss style, driving it hundreds of miles home from where you purchased it the day you bought it. So, yeah. I I love that. I love doing that. I love everything about it. I'm definitely going to read this book. Uh, That sounds uh, super fun. I view view that process as sort of a performance art. You know, Mm -hmm. when you you find a Land Rover and you really – I mean, you can see some photos and you can have somebody tell you about a car – but until you get there and drive it, you you have no idea. Yep. And so I really enjoy that process. I love uh, you know everything about it. Uh, getting something unknown, uh, going somewhere unknown, in something unknown. I love it. I love it. Uh, a friend of mine kind of summarized this. Um, he has a Toyota pickup, mm-hmm. and the fuel gauge doesn't work. And mm-hmm. his wife gives him a hard time about it because every once in a while. He runs out of gas and she says, you need to fix that fuel gauge. And he says, you know what? I don't purposely try to run out of gas, but every time I do, I have a little adventure. I meet somebody nice. Like I like it. So he just leaves it. And, uh, I, in some way, can relate to that, however twisted that may seem. Well, I think Land Rovers offer that opportunity in so many different ways. Uh, you know, uh, non-working fuel gauges being the, the sort of the least of, of the total set of worries that could get you into uh, what is a very interesting uh, adventure. You know, and certainly I have uh, the old adage of I would rather be uh, pushing my Land Rover than driving a Jeep. Um, but uh, you do end up, you know, every once in a while, something breaks and uh, you either fix it or or you don't, and uh, you know you get the car back somewhere you can't fix it. Whatever, it's all it's all part of the show. It's a good trip if when you return from the trip, your car is in better condition than when you left, which means you've 
you've you've had to work on it. You've had to work on it. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. You never hear speaking of things you watch and listen to. You've never heard uh, like a great Land Rover, uh, you know, adventuring tale that doesn't require multiple stops in multiple different areas to fix multiple things on the car. There's always you know, oh, in our trek across Africa, and oh, here's a picture of the gentleman welding our transfer case back together after we you know did whatever, and like oh, and here's another guy that we're uh, where we had to stop here for a couple of days because we were waiting for new tapid springs for the you know whatever it's just it's part of the adventure i you know i wouldn't have it any other way there's a great book uh, called the wild roads and it is about the first crossing of every continent by motor car so the gist of it is like the first guy to drive his car across europe the first guy to drive his car across asia africa north and south antarctica and so on and so forth so uh there's a couple land rovers in the in the book but mm -hmm. uh uh, some of the earlier exploits um, that are notable is uh, uh, is is one, and the guy is driving. I think it's a German guy, and he's driving this this uh, really early car across Africa. And at one point, he drives into a river, it hydrolocks, and it cracks the engine block. Ooh. And so he like sends a letter to the company asking for a new engine block. And and uh, it takes like a year and a half for it to be made and like put on a steamship and then like carried by uh, people across the continent to put back in the car and and can he continues his journey at that point. And, I believe uh, I watched a uh, a YouTube video about someone with a new Defender that had a, a similar 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 problem and and actually seemed, oh no seemed like it was about the same amount of effort to fix it but uh uh but that is amazing and you think like back then um even now obviously crossing any continent is no small feat but you think about like you had to send a letter back to wherever the car was made they would have to receive that letter, do something. I mean, it's just the, the timescale of, of things. Start Keep... melting the steel. <laughs> you know, that's less than just like, well, I have a long weekend, so I'm going to drive across Borneo. Like, no, no, it was like, well, I might come back or, you know, uh, send my love, you know, because that's this is the last time you'll ever see me. There's another gentleman that's featured uh, prominently in that book, and his name is Robert Louis Jefferson. And uh, we should do a whole episode on this guy, a really fascinating character and an early um, an early salesperson of of Rover products. Right. He, uh, he wrote a book uh, called Across Siberia on a Bicycle, where he rode a Rover bicycle across Siberia. And I think he he left uh, and his preparation was packing a lunchbox with a, uh, a rain slicker and a pistol inside of it. I think that was the extent of his preparations. Pretty uh, badass dude. And uh, he also drove a Rover car across Europe, the first person to drive a car across Europe in 1907. And Jesus. so uh, we should totally do an episode about that guy. Uh, he sounds like a, a super interesting fellow. I think I he died at like 39, but uh, uh, yeah, cool dude. What are you? Uh, what are you watching, uh, Ike? Anything interesting? I I really haven't been watching anything too uh, too much. Um, I've been uh, really busy at work. Although I did see the preview for the new Zack Snyder film Army of the Dead, and I noticed that the zombie battle wagon in this film is in fact a Land Rover Defender. Oh my goodness! A new one or uh, an original Land Rover? That's a silly question. <laughs> it it is not a new one, and so as you might expect, it's it's got that gritty feel to it, and so it is a we'll call it a classic defender in this particular episode. So uh, 
you know, the, the whole gang, I think, of zombie slayers, I believe, are driving this, at least in the preview. I don't know how prominently it features in the film. But I was, uh, I, was I guess, unsurprised to see that. It seems, uh, it seems like it fits, but uh, definitely cool to see, uh, see another uh, utility model Land Rover featured in a, in a new film. Well, and hopefully there is a, uh, you know, there is a James Bond film coming out at some point That's in right. the future. That yeah, will have, it's got uh, a, you know, new new defenders in it. So and a Peter Rabbit film, I believe, that has a series truck in it again. Oh, fantastic! Oh, the Peter Rabbit. The last one was cool. I mean, anapromorphized uh, animals are always a little creepy, but uh, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. Um, I, I, I less less creepy than than an, like people made into animals, though. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like Island of Doctor Moreau, or Human Centipede. Or the human centipede, yeah, the human centipede. <laughs> but what a great watch! And that that coincidentally has a P thirty eight Land Rover uh, Range Rover in it uh, that I'll just recently for sold it. for seventy thousand dollars. So, <laughs> uh, on that note, Ike, uh, that's it for this week. Hopefully, uh, we make it back uh, next week with uh, more information uh, about how you can sell your Land Rover uh, for well over fifty thousand dollars. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. All right, cheers for now. See ya. Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Consider supporting the show through our Patreon, and when you do, you'll be given access to exclusive content and Underpowered Hour merch. Want even more Underpowered Hour? Check out our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Twitter.